Hello, my name is Philip Mirton, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. Now, for those who have listened to the show in the past, there's really two possible themes that are playing out right now to the story of life, and there's other things, but there's two big ones here. One theme to our story on Earth here is that we are particles in motion, doomed to rust away and return to the dust. Now, this is the story of modern materialistic science, and it happens to be the dominating viewpoint right now. An opposite theme to the story of life is that we could be on the other hand, a consciousness rising to the realization that we comprise all reality. And it's be hard to think of two themes that are more distinct. And of course there's other ones, but these are the big ones. And it's the second theme that interests me for a number of reasons. One of them is that it's a more promising theme. It's more promising to think that we are a consciousness rising to a realization of some sort than to think that we're just machines doomed to rust away. And also this particle in motion picture isn't holding up too well for those who follow the quantum theory development, which says that at the core of what we call matter is not really stuff, but it's really wave packets, ener energy waves, things of nothing, the stuff of dreams. And also an interesting and increasing number of people are reaching the same conclusion that indeed consciousness is at the root of reality, not particles. And so this should be perhaps telling us something that maybe there's some truth to this whole notion and maybe it's not as bizarre as it may have seemed a few decades ago. Now one of these people is our guest today, Carolyn Gervais, who's the author of a new book called I Dreamed I Was Human, Awakening from the Illusion. Now Carolyn, has frequently published in the Sedonia Journal of Emergence and also on numerous websites focused on metaphysical spirituality. She's an ordained minister in spiritual psychology and also a certified hypnotherapist. She's got a master's degree in holistic nutrition and lives in Arizona. Welcome to the show, Carolyn. Thank you. Well, it's great having you, and I was really intrigued by the title of your book, I Dreamed I Was Human, because it says so much in the title, and it, it really it raises this question about are we using these terms metaphorically, or do we really mean that we are in a type of a dream? Now, you talk about... That, uh, in your materials, that life is like a story. And why don't you elaborate upon that a little bit? How is life like a story? Well, uh, when we came to this earth before we were born, we were, we were given the, the, a gift of free will. Call it a gift. Uh, and I call it a gift because it allowed us to take control of our thoughts, our lives, our choices, what we, what we choose to like or dislike, uh, what we choose to believe or not believe. And um, by doing this, each year of our life, we are taking what we know at the moment and constantly recreating our life day to day through that free will and through what we have chosen to believe and what we have been taught by uh, society and uh, adults as children. So in this way, we are making it up every day because we don't know exactly what's going to take place every day. Uh, we may go to the same job, but we don't know exactly what we're going to experience that day. It's like it's all new every day. 
and that is uh, coming about through our choices, our beliefs, our thoughts, and our perceptions. You said when we came to this place, in what, how do you mean that? Do you, do you imp uh, mean to imply that we've had some choice in yes. coming here? Yes, I do. Uh, because, again, we are beings that have free will. What is the purpose of free will if we can't choose where we are or where we go or what we do? It seems yeah. as if there is a connection here to reincarnation of some, in, some, in some ways because I think that this notion that life is a story is one that I myself advance, and I think it's a really good way to describe what it means to live because so many people they let other folks whether it's culture classic religious books science schools society control the story of their lives and i think that from my view one of our challenges is to control the our own stories and i so i think that that is that is something that is true and something we need to uh realize at a deeper level but this notion that we have cho have chosen to be here you mean uh, chosen to be born on the planet earth or or in, or in what other way do you mean uh, to choose to be here well whatever creative force someone might believe in some way somehow we came into being uh, as life and that I call is being aware of life and, and our life existence of being alive is consciousness waking up, is consciousness thinking, being able to think and imagine and, and create. And so, yes, we chose to be alive. We, I mean, we we, when we realized we were capable of thinking and creating, then we were given the choice of how we wanted to create. And so, yes, we use that life force energy, how, whatever you want to call it, that creative force, and we created what we are living right now. And at, so, at some point, and I think that here... When we use uh, a a pronoun like we, it, mm -hmm. it to me it raises some some ambiguities because, on one level, as I said in the opening of the show, there's no doubt that something propelled us to be where we're at. Here we're here we're at, and and you say the same thing in your book. Uh, well, it, you know, it could be the Big Bang, it could be a, uh, a one consciousness, it could be God. You know, there's all sorts of ways to describe it. But something propelled us here, and or something made us be here. And when we look inside and we we say we, it sounds as if our ourselves, our own beings, right now have had a say in our existence. Is that is that what you're saying? Yes, definitely. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's an it's it's an amazing it's an amazing concept and you know what it's pretty hard it's pretty hard to disprove it unless of course you're a hardcore darwinian but i, I but on, on that on that front and of course there's a lot of hardcore darwinian so it's not right. as if i'm talking about the status quo here but but now there's a notion that is on the opposite side of the spectrum which is this other scientific worldview that i i've alluded to that would say that we are controlled by our genes and I'm sure you're aware of that notion, oh, yeah. where the whole, you know, the human genome project is sort of like the unveiling of the parts of the machine. And and by understanding the parts, we're going to understand our spirit. What is your what is your spin on this whole notion that we are controlled by our genes? Well, where did genes come from? Yeah, that's all part of that energy yeah. that of creation. Yeah. So, you know, you can take it to the smallest point of life that you can imagine, and where did that come from, and that, and what is that, what does that look like, and what yeah. does that mean? Yeah. So, yeah.
Yeah, well, I, I think that, that that's sort of where I, I believe things are going because, for example, you know, Bruce Lipton has done very well in sort of raising uh, epigenetics to the public attention, and that simply being, folks, on the radical side of things, there is really no no such thing as free will. We are controlled by our genes, so you might as well just ride with it, and you don't have any control over writing your own story, and that would be the, I would call that a radical gene-centered approach. And then there's this uh, other notion that that our environment does influence our genes, which is another way of saying that culture and society uh, affects who we can be in the future. And the reason I, I raise this is because even in the strict modern science viewpoint, they are realizing that indeed genes do not control who we are. And to me, Carolyn, I don't think there's that big of a step to, to concluding that that we we just made up this concept of genes that that's my that's my view we we just use it as a crutch that we are in control or at least let me put it this way at least we should experiment to see how much we really are in control as opposed to giving ourselves up and saying oh well it's just the genes you know he he had the bad mood gene or or he had the be nasty to people gene and therefore he can't control himself that kind of thing well, I look at it like we we have been creating ourselves for so long, re, re, creating and recreating ourselves for so many millions and billions of, of years that we, this is, where we find ourselves today is, is the outcome or the effect of everything that we have done in all of those experiences, what we thought, what we felt, what we've chosen, what we we even we even choose our families. I mean, we are even if by nothing else but the law of attraction, we choose our families. Now, I do believe we consciously choose our families because we choose the energy or the the uh, the environment that's going to bring up what we want to work with in each particular uh, existence. And so we, we choose uh, our environment in order to bring these things up out of us so that we can work on them and uh, resolve them, heal them, and move beyond. And I think that this is so much of a more positive outlook, frankly, Carolyn. I mean, it's some of... It, in some ways, though, it sounds scary. It's, it's like saying, oh, you mean we're really responsible for who we are? You know, what a radical concept that is. Uh, you know, I mean, we're so used to blaming uh, other people, but but it's really prevalent across literature in this area. Uh, Jack Canfield, for example, uh, the author uh, the, or the co-author of the whole Chicken, uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul series, has written a number of books uh, on the same principle, which is that the number one thing for success or or to be alive is to take responsibility for yourself. And this is not a, an original concept, but I think too many people rely upon the crutch of science, genes, upbringing, and don't realize, you know, that we are in control. Uh, this is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Carolyn Gervais the author of the new book, I Dreamed I Was Human, and we're talking about life being a story, our control over this story, and I'd like to switch a little bit here to this concept of soul charts and the rise in collective consciousness, because what, what you just said I think is extremely important, and this, and let me, let me just put in this terms here for a second, and that is, if you view, if you view ourselves as sort of a uh, computer program that is blank and what gets filled in are the codes that we put into our program many of the codes we don't have control over 
And our goal is to control our own programming, our own story, the words we put down on a page. From an individual standpoint, that to me makes a lot of sense. But you raise it to the collective side, the collective consciousness, and you talk about the maturation process. What do you mean about sort of the, the maturing of the collective consciousness? Well, we have an individual consciousness that is part of the collective consciousness. We're all an aspect of the collective consciousness, the consciousness of everything that has a consciousness, let's say, uh, on Earth here. Uh, we collectively have created this Earth and, and, our, and, and our societies. We collectively create them through uh, agreements, uh, with laws, with um, with uh, media, with all kinds of ways, we're, we're constantly uh, collectively creating our societies and what is programmed to, into us through those societies. But we, it, it, the the control we have is through our ability to understand ourselves individually, so that we can take what society is bringing to us and use it in a way that is beneficial instead of harmful. And so we do have a collective consciousness, and through this collective consciousness, we have created what we see right now in this world. And it's time to start taking responsibility individually and do what each of us can first, number one, to know ourselves, to know who we are, what our thoughts are, what our beliefs are, what our illusions are, what our denial is, and really know, under, try to understand ourselves and uh, re transform that which sabotages us and causes us to do harm and to harm ourselves. And it so happens that I, I have the exact same viewpoint, and I think what's important to me here is, is that the listener understand that this, this is really a different view of what we know as the real world. And this is the view one comes to, to me, if you look at the world as consciousness first or mind first as opposed to matter first. And that's the dichotomy or the distinction that I make because we're used to viewing the world as coming at us as the world controlling us. But if you take this different perspective, and frankly, if you're consistent with this viewpoint, then I, re I, I really think you wind up, Carolyn, where you're at. And and because all of us because you have to be consistent and it's sort of like breaking down barriers uh, to get to this point where you look at the world purely now it raises it raises the question on a practical level from your own upbringing what was it in your upbringing that led you to where you're at today in your thinking was it a gradual thing, or was there some epiphany that you had in, in your upbringing that led you to this conclusion about us being the creators of our story? Well, I started out at very young age. I was I was uh, I was anywhere from two to two to uh, five years old at when I first realized I was actually in a human body on the earth and I re it was like I just all of a sudden realized I was on this earth and I remember looking out at it and thinking how did I get here what is this all all for yeah. and where am I you know and I know it's hard to think that a, a child can think like that but it's not the child part of me that was thinking it it was the the life force energy or the soul aspect of me, the part that is conscious, that has not trained this body to think and feel and, and, and do what it's going to do, but that part that is intelligent that we all have, even when we come in as an infant, you know, it's just we can't express it yet because right. we have to program the body and the brain. But uh, I did have a memory of a of where I came from, a place that was very peaceful, um, 
it wasn't confusing and uh, loud like it was here. And I remember I re- had a memory of that as, as this child. And I all I remember from that experience is that I wanted to go back there. And I was thinking, okay, well, how am I going to do that? So I, I finally, over a period of time, as a child, I began to realize the only way I'm going to find my way back to that place that I know I'm really from is to uh, to question uh, the the adults. To uh, as I got older, I knew I was going to have to start studying and searching for the answers to my questions as to why I was here and what the purpose of being human is even for. And so that's what started me on my path, that need to know why I had to be here, because I didn't like it here. And uh, at 17, I started diligently, daily, for hours at, uh, at a, uh, each day, studying and reading anything I could get my hands on that was outside the box of normal thinking, like um, about reincarnation, like Edgar Cayce. I, I read books by Alice Bailey and uh, Peruker and H.P. Blavatsky, which is theosophy. I, I got into Eastern philosophy and taught myself how to do yoga and taught other people and just anything I could get my hands on, books on um, ESP, you know, extrasensory perception, even ghost phenomena, anything, searching for the answers to life. You know, one of my questions here and is, is whether everybody has these same ideas embedded in their subconscious somewhere, but some people just never let these doubts out. And it's yes. something that I've always wondered about because I, I think that, you know, I went through I went through the same thing. I think a lot of people on this show go through the same sort of process in different ways, you know. And, and sometimes it's, it's as simple as saying something like, you know, I realize there's a deeper meaning or I realize that there's a, there's a big spirit or that we're all one or there's an energy field. There's all, there's, you know, there's all sorts of ways to put this. But I really wonder whether part of the problem of our modern society is that we don't let out these ideas. And that, of course, that is my own view. And I, and when you think about it, Carolyn, and because I read a lot of these books and I also read a lot of science books, that we have a scientific community out there which writes the textbooks that says a lot of what we're talking about is really nuts. It, right. it doesn't have any basis. And, and when you, like, example, any book by Richard Dawkins, and then, of course, there's the book by Richard, uh, I'm sorry, by Michael Shermer, uh, The Believing Brain, which, it, which is, you know, Michael Shermer is the publisher of Skeptic Magazine, and he's, which is basically being skeptical of anything he doesn't believe in. Um, right. And so we have the leaders saying that all of this stuff, and this is on the other side of the of the ledger which is all the spiritual the paranormal this uh, parapsychology religion um, life after death uh, mm-hmm. Eastern philosophy all that's crazy is not scientifically supported you know we're living in a in a world where the leaders are, are saying that we're crazy um, and and so breaking through that I think is really one of our challenges so, so what, what is, I mean, you're lucky because you're in, uh, near Sedonia. I don't know if you live in Sedonia, but, but you're, you're probably by more open-minded thinkers. Uh, but, but um, what do you think about whether each of us is, has the same issue, but some of us never let it out? Oh, I think we do. I think that people are afraid to know uh, the, the average person is afraid to know who they really are because, number one, that's scary to, to not know where you were before you were here, to, to even think about it. Uh, it makes you feel kind of insecure. Um, I mean, but imagine this. Uh, here we're born, and then for how many years does it take us to even start realizing that we are alive in in a human form most people say they don't remember any further back than seven years old yeah and that i think is a a 
a fear of uh, of knowing more about who who we are because we are taught by our parents and and society. Most people are taught that we are just these physical bodies. Um, yes, our parents will can t- teach us about God and religion and all that. But for me, religion, uh, I, I didn't have much of it as a child, but what I was taught, I couldn't believe that there was such a, a God that would uh, want to punish us. That just, just didn't ring true with me at all. And I thought, how, how, why would I want to believe in, in a God like that? And so that was another thing that pushed me to find the truth. Um, but yes, we are in denial because a lot of people are afraid that if they find out who they are, then they won't be able to live a normal life. They won't be able to interact in the world the way they want to. They would have to give up some part of themselves that they don't want to give up, whether it be, uh, the e- well, basically anything that the ego would want to create and take control of. Yeah, I think it's a it's a multiple uh, tiered problem. Yeah. I think, and it's not only that um, it's a different thought, but it's sort of like you know you want to be accepted by your peers, you want to be considered right. an outlier, a weirdo, and mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. I mean, there there's there's clearly some of that, and then then there's this other facet where it's sort of a um, how can I put this. It sort of comes from the, uh, the the enchanting stories of the Buddha, where you know you have this enlightenment and you wander to the forest and you just you know disappear from society. Uh, the to me, what helps me uh, when I go down this road because I've had these same thoughts is if you look at what other people believe in, it's not as if we are talking about some deeply rational viewpoint that is guiding the rest of the world. Uh, for example, uh, a lot of religions are based upon this, you know, outdated or um, ancient stories that are or myths that have just been repeated through the centuries without any critical examination. I think a lot of the theories of modern science don't make any sense. Uh, such as the multiverse is a, is an example, uh, and string theory, and it's not as if any any viewpoint is so deeply rooted that it can't be questioned in some fashion or another. But what I really think is the benefit of this consciousness first viewpoint is that we can know in our hearts it's true. We can know that it's right and. You, you know, you wake up every morning and say, okay, I'm going to, or, or, or you go to bed at night, I'm going to question this, and, I'm, and I, I'm doubting whether this is true. And every day I wake up, I realize it it's, was more true than the night before. And, right. and so it's really, it's really a, uh, I do think we are in a transition state here, and it's, it's one thing that um, I wrote down from your book that you say a miracle is needed on earth right now what what do you mean by that consciousness has to has to look inward look at the source of what has created what we are experiencing on this earth the the all of the the harmful things the selfish things the, the things that harm everybody uh, we have to look at where these these have come from, and they have come from us, the humans, uh, because we have gotten trapped in the illusion of being just these physical beings that only have five physical senses that if I don't watch out for me, nobody is going to. I mean, it's like, no, I'll take care of me, you take care of you. Don't, don't bother me with your problems because i got enough of my own. And this is why I... Feel the earth has gotten to this point. It's everybody's out for themselves, and we have to move back inward and open to our true self, which is a very loving, peace-loving, um, compassionate being. But we have forgotten that because we we've got become so afraid. Fear makes us do desperate things. 
fear makes us do things that are harmful, not just to us, but to other people, because we're so afraid of of not surviving. And the miracle, you know, when you when you use the word miracle in your book, I'm thinking that there's that there be some kind of cataclysmic event, like a, you know, like the the sun the sun stops in the sky or it 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 uh you know or the or the moon does something i mean or it rains cats and dogs you know some some strange thing but 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 do you mean the the miracle being that it's an inward miracle in other words it's 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 sort of like a tipping point or a transition stage where there's more of a a worldly enlightenment is that what you mean well, I think it's both. Okay. You can see the effect of of uh, we're having extreme weather changes, uh, and I think that everything is energy that comes from within us outward, and that energy, if that energy is is negative or harmful or uh, uh, unhealthy energy then that's going to affect everything, even in this physical world. It's going to affect the weather. It's going to affect what the Earth does. I mean, they're, they're saying there's more volcanoes that are becoming active again now. Uh, we're having, it seems like, uh, earthquakes, uh, the extreme weather changes. It's, it's even a possibility, there's, scientists are saying, that we're going to go through uh, a mini ice age. Um, so, yes, I think that all of this energy that we are projecting outward because out of fear is causing all this havoc on Earth, and it's also causing havoc within us, and it's making us fearful. So, yes, the only way we as individuals can stop being afraid of what we're seeing around us is to look at who we really are as these these energy beings, these conscious, intelligent, uh, life force energy beings, and look at what that means and what that can, how that can change uh, our individual lives and how as we each change our individual lives into a more positive, harmonious life, then it helps change everything around us. There's that collective consciousness. If we collectively can turn inward and see who we really are as these harm, naturally harm, a longing to have harmony on this earth, all of us want that. But we have to find that within ourselves before we can have it on the earth because we project what we feel we are inside. This is Philip Merton, and this is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Carolyn Gervais, the author of I Dreamed I Was Human, Waking Up from the Illusion, and we're talking about playing out the consequences of this world really being a dream of life. And what you said there, I think, shows why some people might have some fear here. Because the notion that we are at the controls is sort of a scary one. But on the other hand, and I mean at the control of not only our lives, but of the world and the universe. But on the other hand, it's no different than, to me, viewing the planet Earth as being on autopilot versus manually controlled. That's the way I put it. Because, you know, we think it's on autopilot and there and we don't have any any control over it and if nothing else this whole global warming phenomena shows that little old mankind here can potentially affect the climate now that is it in a very scientific way and and of course the scientific way being from the emission of greenhouse gases but it but it shows but it could be perhaps a metaphor carolyn for how what we do does affect the world we live in. Exactly. What, what do you think is the source of the fear? Of 
of, uh, of the of the fear of the fear that we might be at the controls or the or the fear or, or the fear that you've been talking about what is the source of this fear the source of the fear is fear fear that we don't know how to to take control fear that uh well it's just little me i mean what can i do the right. fear that we will have to change in a way that is scary for us that we will have to become more responsible for our lives and for everything that we do in instead of letting uh life drag us along yeah. uh i i think it comes from the fear of not knowing uh how to go about it feeling helpless hopeless all of those things yeah well another way to another way to put it or or to add on to that when you think if this is all true if what we're saying is not just sort of a flight of fancy but has some truth to it then one way to view it carolyn is that the big mind and and we could call it god for the sake of discussion here is waiting for human beings to accept responsibility for being here it's that simple it's that simple right it's that simple and some people are not going to accept the responsibility and so the wheel of rebirth keeps turning along mm-hmm. uh, and so in that and that i think to me sort of says something about rebirth reincarnation evolution we could call it whatever word we want mm-hmm. but right. but but the beauty of it is that we have the choice right now to sort of change gears and this is this is why this is exciting to me and this is why we should be paying attention to books like Carolyn's and to give my own little book, my, my new book's coming out called The Collapse of Materialism, which is on these same topics, except I, I also have a few critical things to say about lovely modern science and, and its theories, as you might expect. But anyways, this is, this is where I think human history is flowing. Now, there's another thing that is really cool about about your book that is it's mind-opening as well is this this notion of alternate realities and what this says about the kind of world we live in and why don't why don't you give an example i know you you have the grandmother example but but you you've experienced things that you called alternate realities what is an alternate reality well an alternate reality is see i don't call reincarnation reincarnation i call it incarnation because they're all going on at the same time so everything is going on all at the same time whatever you want to call another aspect of you uh, a parallel life or an alternate reality Uh, an alternate reality and a parallel life are basically the same thing Uh, but they are happening on a little bit different frequency level than where we see ourselves in the here and now. Where I see myself as Carolyn, I have other uh, lifetimes going on on different frequency levels. And all we have to do is, or somehow, uh, this has happened to me, uh, I've been able to tune into them just not even planning to, just all of a sudden just tuning into uh, an alternate reality and experiencing it without without thinking that it's any different from from this here and now uh do you want me to give yeah, you an yeah you want you give us an example to put some to put some context okay. in on this okay uh i will give you an example what i call uh a, a a parallel life there are two ways of experiencing this one way is to experience yourself exactly in the same time frame that you're in right now to experience yourself on a different uh, frequency level but looking exactly the same and your family's the same and everything or experiencing another an alternate reality which i see as a different aspect of me that may be a different age to such a degree that i I don't even look the same or i i do look different i look a little bit different so um i had this one experience where um i lived in a uh, one-story apartment building, quite a, a good-sized apartment building, but it's one story, 
and um, I had a friend come over my apartment one morning uh, to visit me, and we went into the kitchen to get something to eat, and she heard this sound coming through the wall, and she said, what is that noise? And I said, oh, that's the lady in the end apartment. That's her percolator, her coffee pot. I hear it every morning. And she says, what do you mean, the end apartment? I said, the lady in the end apartment next to me. And she says, Carolyn, you live in the end apartment. I said, no, I don't. I, I talk to this lady all the time. I mean, I see her every day. Yeah. I know she lives by herself, and she she's about 50. I was about 25 at the time, and I said, she's about 50, and she looks very lonely, and she's very quiet, and she doesn't want to make eye contact with anybody. Their clothes are really plain, you know, looking. And I said just the other day I was coming home, the same time she was coming home, and we were both uh, unlocking our front doors. Well, in this apartment complex, everybody's front door was a sliding glass door, and it opened on the far left of every apartment in the whole complex. Everybody's opened on the far left of their apartment. Right. Uh, and... I remember this lady, and I, I said hi to her, and she I could tell she didn't want to answer me because she just wanted to be left alone, but she looked at me briefly and said hi and then went into her apartment. And I said, so if I live in the end of the apartment, who's this lady I've been seeing? And she said, okay, do me a favor. Just go outside and look and see what apartment you live in. And I did. And sure enough, I was in the end apartment. Yeah. That other apartment was not there. But for months, I had seen that apartment. And I would not have known that that apartment wasn't there unless somebody like her told me that the apartment doesn't exist. You live in the end apartment. Yeah, and you know, every time I hear stories like that, I, I always, I think there, there's a dichotomy. First of all, it's either, there's, there's, there's either true to it or there's not, and it's it's. I think it's very it it's very um, helpful to uh, go down the path to think there's truth to it, and this is sort of the way I interpreted that story, and which is that we have a spectrum uh, that we we have I would call indisputable truth or indisputable uh, evidence about, and that is that we know we dream at night. There are various levels of dreams. Some are f- passing phantoms. Some are, you know, what we call lucid dreamings, or very real life dreams. Then we have these things called hallucinations, which are scientifically proven to be true to happen. And it suggests that the you know the world is a dream. Uh, to me, it proves the world's a dream. But let's let's just use the word. It suggests the world is a dream. And if that's true, and then of course we could throw in all the all the paranormal stuff. We could throw in precognition dreams, those mm-hmm. dreams where right. somebody dreams at night of something and it later happens to be true in the real world. Mm-hmm. And so if we go down that road and we start looking at all those things, then this notion of there being alternate realities uh, doesn't seem so strange anymore. It, it seemed it, it's just something that might happen in the world we live in. And for those who think, wow, this is really wild stuff, I mean, I say, well, re- pick up a book by Brian Greene, Fabric of Reality. Pick up a book about the multiverse, about there really being an infinite number of other universes out there, and then compare which one seems more bizarre to you. Because, because frankly, I think that this notion of of the world being a dream is not as radical as it may sound it's radical when laid against uh, modern science but then again modern science is awfully radical when compared against the dream motif so I think that I think that's really really interesting this is Philip Merton this is conversations beyond science and religion we're talking with Carolyn Gervais about her book I dreamed I was human and we're sort of following this motif uh, that we are really living in a dream world where we imagine that we are separate. And you do spend uh, a, some time talking about how separateness is a problem. And can you, can you speak to that a little bit? Why, why is separateness a problem, or is it a problem? What is it about separateness that's an issue for you? 
separateness is a problem because we when we see ourselves as separate from everything and everyone then we see ourselves as an island unto ourselves and that our only we uh can can only we are aware of us and so therefore no one else really counts except us so that takes away from the fact that we could be working together uh, and helping to solve some of the, the, the uh, disharmony in the world if we could see that everything is energy. Energy, thought energy, is what makes us believe that we are separate. We, when we decided to see ourselves as individual in energy, when energy is just all one. There is no separateness in energy except in thought. So when we uh, choose to see ourselves separate by coming in to Earth as human beings, we were saying, okay, let's see what it's like to not have to be responsible for anything or care about anything but myself or this aspect of me. Is it, is it is it isn't isn't separateness necessary though? Isn't it necessary? No, well, it is on this plane of existence. Okay. Yes, because that's what we have set up. This is the game we we have created to be separate. To it's a way of saying, okay, what would it be like if I thought I was separate from life force energy or whatever created life? What if I believed I was separate from that and myself and by being in individual bodies we are even saying we are separate from ourselves because everybody else in a body is us too it is an aspect of us too so by seeing ourselves as separate in bodies we're we're even being separate from ourselves and that's why we have what we've created is the inability to see the truth about ourselves in this separateness because we choose to think that we can live separately and life will be in harmony and it won't it can't because we are splitting up the energy so separateness so separateness hmm? is an illusion yes separateness is an illusion yes and and i think that that's really a commentary on where our uh, current scientific mindset leads us and I don't, I don't mean to, and just, and just, just to be clear here, I'm a big advocate of the scientific method. My issue uh, is, is the materialistic, is the materialistic uh, mm-hmm. worldview that dominates science right now, which I hope is going to change in the next couple of decades. But oh, it's going to change. But it's yeah, it has to change. But the, the separateness really, and this, this is related to the ego, right? The ego, right. the ego, or our, our ourselves we think that we're uh, different better richer faster stronger taller whatever than our well, we next think it, we think that we have to outdo everything yes. and everything yep. everyone around us right right and it, it it leads to like this this competitiveness uh on on a on, on what really is a superficial level but the the point is and this is you know carolyn i think the biggest challenge we have is balancing off uh, the separateness or the ego against the one consciousness concept. I think that is really the the, the underlying story, because it it really is the 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 tension we have. Because I think that separateness is necessary. It it's got to be because otherwise we would be one amorphous blob. And, and oh, this, it is. Yes. It is. But in that separateness, we have to realize that there is a way, the life force energy that is in each of us is the same, and that we need to figure out how to tap into that life force energy that is the same in all of us and bring it together in harmony to create separateness in a harmonious way. Right, right. Now now let's bring this down to earth real fast, because what we're doing is to me we are enunciating the golden rule <laughs> that's that that this is what i this is why you know to me 
all, all this says is that there's an underlying, and I'm going to use the, the word metaphysical, basis to the golden rule. That's where I come down on this, because the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, is another way of saying that other person is you. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to like treat them as something different. Right. Uh, and, and you know we could we could uh, go on and compare that to karma and everything else. But but this is you know Carolyn, I think that this notion about fear and taking responsibility. This is where it all. This is this is the the whole issue here because because there it's not just. Uh, praying to somebody outside of you to make you a good person it's it's sort of instilling it inside of you with this a deeper understanding and that is the real us that deeper understanding gets us to the real essence of who we are and that will bring up any answer you want that will give you any answer you want and that you are open to receive according to your awareness level in that moment so the answers change and progress and get deeper. Yes. Now, in in your in your uh, prog- your, in your own progression, mm-hmm. from when you were let's say seventeen or maybe younger, and you did your studies, and now and now you're at where you're at, and you've written this book, and you seem like you've really you have a good understanding of this. What what would you tell the listener of you know on how to how to understand what you're saying, or what tips or uh, advice would you give somebody to sort of say, "Hey, this is not this is not just you know a flight of fancy. There's truth behind this." What would you tell What would you tell somebody? I would tell somebody that until we know what we believe about ourselves and what we believe about life or God, or whatever whatever you a person might believe in, we have to look at every one of those beliefs, every one of those concepts, every one of those, uh, every one of our, our perceptions about life and ourselves, and ask ourselves, okay, are it, what, it, uh, out of all of these, what ones still help me to maintain and live life? And what ones cause me harm? What ones create havoc in my life? Which ones create havoc with myself? And ask ourselves, is there a better way? Is there another? Can I let go of this one? Because it just has caused me problems. Because I have chose to believe, let's say, that I am unworthy of something or that I am unworthy of love or that I am unworthy of whatever it might be. That is something we have to get in touch with, because as long as we have that belief, and that is a belief, that will sabotage us. That is what we will continuously keep bringing to us in the form of experiences. And any other belief that is self-sabotaging or pushes other people away in our relationships. What did I do? What have I done in this volatile relationship to add to that, to that, uh, that energy, that negative energy, and not say, oh, well, this person did this or this person did that. That's why I'm doing this. No, it doesn't work that way. We do it because we feel a need to do it. And the question is, why do I feel a need to do it? And when we know why we feel a need to do it, it's usually because we feel threatened or we're afraid that they won't take us seriously, or they somebody will just shove us aside, whatever the case may be, we need to look at that and say, why do I feel that way? And can I let that go? And what causes me to feel that way? How can I be rid of that? And that is by taking responsibility for that action and saying, okay, now I know what, how I added to this um that's anger in this relationship and now I will stop doing that and in that way step by step we keep healing every little aspect of our life in different ways in different relationships yeah, in different it, avenues of life it's a it seems like it's a sort of a life experiment where 
where the deeper you get into yourself, the more you appreciate uh, the, to me, what I would call the miracle of, of being here. And we start understanding we are in control, we are responsible. And, you know, how can you, you know, the, the love or the power of a group is stronger than the power of one person. And I think that it, it, it feeds upon itself. Uh, I'd like to have you now. You you also do a have a different twist on this positive thinking field, and I was interested in that because last week we had uh, a guest, uh, Michael Samuels, who talked about uh, positive thinking and some of the self help principles. And so, what is what is your what is your spin on positive think on this whole notion of positive thinking? Because a lot of people have have followed that. How do you think that changes in your in your approach to things? Well, we humans are very good at taking anything, <laughs> any new teaching or new new little gimmick or whatever it might be, and using it as another way just to go into denial of what we really need to look at in ourselves. And I think that positive thinking is is one of those ways that people use it in in a way to deny what they don't want to face within themselves by saying, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to think positive. Okay, I'm going to forget that um, that uh, this person hurt me, and I'm just going to shove it down and just think positive and not even think of it anymore. And, they're gonna, and in that way, people believe that that's going to make it go away, that that hurt is just going to go away and disappear. But it doesn't until it is resolved in us, until we look at what bothers us and what we don't like and resolve it somehow, accept it uh, in, a, in a way that doesn't harm us anymore, then it's going to keep coming up. It's going to keep coming up. And it's going to sabotage positive thinking. You cannot think positive when you have all this garbage underneath that says you're not worthy, you're not worth loving, you're, you're a failure, you're a loser, you can pretend all you want that you don't believe that by just saying positive affirmations, but it's not going to change much. And, if, and even if it does change a little bit, you might be able to manifest a few little things, uh, but sooner or later, those things that you shove down are just going to get stronger and stronger, and they're going to pop up again. So and they're going to affect your life. So in place of the classic positive thinking uh, procedure, which is focus on what you want, write it down, repeat it, mm-hmm. meditate upon it, what would you tell somebody? The most positive way we can think is to know ourselves. In knowing ourselves, it is easy to be positive yeah. because we know we're not hiding anything from ourselves. Yeah, we don't have to worry about what's underneath that we're not facing yeah. because we know. Yeah, that's good. It sounds like it sounds like the difference between putting a nice frosting on a cake and, and making the cake from the ground up that you need exactly. to that you need to control that control that soul. Um, you have under- to know what's in the cake. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, okay, we we have covered a lot of ground, and uh, I. I like to thank you, Carolyn, for a what I hope uh, the listener saw was a mind-opening conversation, and I think that uh, this is this is really the kind of thinking that we all need to devote some 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 time to. If if nothing else, it shows that these alternate these alternative views um, it shows the riches of human experience, and it shows that our minds are capable of imagining other worlds uh, in the here and now and beyond, uh, better worlds, better places, places where we do fulfill our dreams. And, uh, you know, we have to ask ourselves, why do we have these thoughts, and how do we know that they're not true? It reminds me of uh, Ray Kurzweil, who is a best-selling author of the books uh, How to Create a Mind, and The Singularity is Near, and Spiritual Machines, and even though he comes from things from a different perspective, he said he said something in these books that I think is is really important, which is that it sometimes somebody makes an invention and it's before its time and it never it never um, takes off. Mm-hmm. Sometimes an invention 
happens too late. And I think that what we're doing here, uh, Carolyn, uh, is is finding the right time for this miracle, for, for these ideas to match with the resonance, with the energy level of of humankind and I yeah. hope hope that the time is 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 right now and we're very close to it because it seems as if things are happening uh, in a way more people are you know are going down this road and I think that Kurtzwild's uh, views on inventions apply equally to these ideas so Carolyn uh, your website I believe is I dreamed I was human dot com and you also have awakening dot com is that right Yes, I dreamed I was human. dot com is my book website, but my personal website shows all. Uh, I, I have uh, other services on there. I also have a uh, metaphysical CD, of music that I wrote uh, years ago, and uh, I do all the vocals and everything on it. It's basically uh, the teachings are very similar to what's what my book is about in in my music. Yeah. So somebody can listen to that on my website, awakeningyou.com, and find my other services, too. I do soul charts on the phone um, and just other things, and they can listen to some of my other interviews and just see what I'm all about. Okay, that's, okay, that's great. And once again, I'd like, I like to thank you. Again, it's been, it's been um, I think, an invigorating conversation. Uh, and join us next week where we'll be taking a different tact on soul healing. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Mirton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com.